Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Carnison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor, specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about a topic that becomes relevant for many families at some point, which is what to know about hiring in-home care to help an older person. My guest today is Michelle Allen, and she is an experienced geriatric social worker based in Atlanta, Georgia, who has worked as a hospice social worker and as a geriatric care coordinator for an elder law firm. She is also one of our wonderful geriatric care managers who has been providing regular guidance and support to people in our Helping Older Parents membership community. This is an online membership community that I just launched earlier this year to help connect people with expert guidance and support for those people who are struggling to help aging parents. And one of the benefits of being a member of our community is that not only do people get to ask me their questions about aging parents, but we also have expert geriatric care managers such as Michelle providing really helpful pointers on how to navigate a variety of issues related to aging care and to arranging care to support an older person. So if our membership sounds like it might be helpful to you or someone you know, I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can learn more because we are planning to reopen the doors again soon in June, and we'd love to have you join us. Now back to the topic at hand. This is something that over the years I've seen many people asking about on the website, and we've also had many of our members in our communities asking questions about how to get the right kind of help for an aging parent. And this comes up a lot because, as you know, many older adults want to age in place and they want to stay in familiar surroundings that mean a lot to them. To help our members understand their options about finding and hiring home care, Michelle wrote a really helpful post in our community several weeks ago. And since I know that many of our podcast listeners can benefit from this information as well, I'm thrilled to have her here today to help us learn more about this important topic. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get into bringing help into the home to help an older person, I'd love to start with having you tell the audience a little bit more about you and the type of work that you do. So how did you become interested in geriatric social work specifically? And then what does a geriatric social worker do? It's interesting. So I kind of got into geriatrics by accident. I started off as a hospice social worker. So I knew very early in my undergrad career that I wanted to become a social worker. And specifically, I wanted to become a hospice social worker. And after years of practicing hospice social work, I realized that I had this real passion for our long-term care community, how long-term care works, how people find care, how they pay for it, how they navigate, how they advocate for good care. And that is really the core of what geriatric social workers do, is they have a special understanding of Medicare benefits and long-term care services and helping families to connect with those services, um, help them navigate through the aging process and all of the resources, and also, of course, how to advocate for good care. And I just developed a very special 
intense passion for that and for the policies around it. And here I am. <laughs> yeah. So we had Howard Kleckman, an expert in long-term care on the podcast a while back. I'll find the episode and link to it. But maybe really briefly, you can recap for the audience what long-term care is, because I think it's not always obvious to people. So when I talk about long-term care, I'm really talking about when somebody needs the services and supports to manage their activities of daily living. So whether that's through in-home care, assisted living care, personal care homes, nursing home care, hospice services, when they start needing the assistance from others, maybe it's family members or paid caregivers to meet their needs, that's really what I'm talking about when I, when I talk about the long-term care world and the continuum and yeah. That can include palliative care as well. And Right. No, I think it's important to bring that up because I think sometimes people, first of all, think it's just nursing homes, right? right. <laughs> you know, which are just a very small piece of it, but that it's really this whole approach to at some point in their lives, many people develop a need for extra help to manage their, their daily life. And uh, especially when it comes to older adults, that need might be kind of indefinite. Although some people sometimes need it just for a few weeks after hospitalization, right? Or some people can recover a lot of function after something like a stroke, but people need some help to get by. And how are we going to provide that care and support in the longer term? And I love how you brought up the many different ways that we have that it's much more than nursing homes. And you mentioned in-home care. And so we're going to talk more about that in a moment, that being an option and uh, how to find it and how to get to it. Now, before we dive into that, could you talk a little bit more about, you know, the things that geriatric social workers do? And, uh, and also, I was hoping you could maybe address whether there's a difference between a geriatric social worker and a geriatric care manager, which is another term that we sometimes use on the website or sometimes comes up on the podcast. Yeah, so a geriatric, maybe it's easier to start with what a geriatric care manager is. A geriatric care manager, also known as an aging life care specialist, is a certified individual that helps families navigate through, or even just individuals navigate through the aging process. They're there to be an advocate. They can even be your healthcare agent or guardian if needed, and if they're certified for that. And a geriatric care manager can be a social worker, a nurse, any other professional level, the Aging Life Care Association requires that in order to be certified that you should have an advanced degree of some, of some sort, as well as years worth of experience and supervision providing care management services. So a geriatric care manager can also be a geriatric social worker, but can also be a different professional. Likewise, a geriatric social worker could be a geriatric care manager, but then geriatric social workers are also found in other settings, hospitals, hospices, home health agencies. Some of our AAAs, the Area Agency on Aging, also have social work, geriatric social workers in them. And there's only now becoming really a, um, a certification for a social worker who focuses in geriatrics. But mostly it's about what has your experience been as a social worker? What is your knowledge base? Do you really understand the ins and outs of Medicare as well as Medicaid services for your state? Do you know how to help families navigate through finding good care, paying for good care, and those kinds of issues? So you're a licensed clinical social worker. And one of the things that I think I didn't realize for a while is that as licensed clinical social workers, not only 
know a lot about how to connect people to benefits or other ways to get the, the help that they need, but that a lot of them also provide therapy. And in fact, that's something that you do. Could you briefly speak to that? Right. So licensed clinical social workers can practice therapy services just the way that licensed professional counselors or psychologists can. And so that is one of the services I also provide is psychotherapy, individual therapy to, I, I focus on older adults, so Medicare beneficiaries, and actually provide that to them in their home. So if transportation or mobility are issues, I actually go out to them in their home to provide therapy for depression, anxiety, grief, loss, those kinds of issues. And as a licensed clinical social worker, I'm able to do that and also bill Medicare for that service. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do many people, are many people able to access that kind of service? Because I think many people don't realize that that's another service that is available. I mean, I think in general, social workers seem to be kind of undertapped, but it's not clear to me whether that's because people don't know about them or whether there just maybe aren't that many available. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think uh, that generally speaking, older adults are underdiagnosed and undertreated for mental, mental illness and mental health issues. And then there's not, there's not enough providers in the communities as well. Atlanta, where I practice, seems to be a little bit richer in resources. I mean, there are more social workers here than in you know, the outlying areas of, of um, more rural Georgia. And I'm assuming that's probably the same in other states and other communities. It is a Medicare benefit that's pretty easy to access if you have enough providers. And if there is a, if there's a referral source that's willing to diagnose and recommend and refer out for those services. And then of course, if the older adult is willing to accept therapy services, you know, there's so many older adults who might be facing their first major depressive episode and see themselves as somebody who's never, never done therapy, never going to do therapy and might not take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Okay. Such a fascinating uh, topic, but I want to make sure we come to, you know, getting help in the home, <laughs> since that's what we were going to focus on for today. So let's talk more about that. And let's start with, you know, in your experience, why do families usually start to look into getting help to come into the home for an aging parent or other older person? It seems like there's usually some sort of precipitating event, like a stroke or a fall or a diagnosis, uh, maybe a serious infection, something that really changes the status quo and makes everybody say, wait a minute, this isn't working anymore. What we've been doing isn't working anymore. And it seems like mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, whoever it is, is not really able to take care of themselves anymore. And so bathing is an issue. Eating regular meals is an issue. Transportation and getting out and getting groceries. And then there's just not enough family support, either because the family that is available is also dealing with their own health issues or they're working full-time as well, or have other responsibilities, or live on the other side of the country. And so without enough family support, there becomes this need, you know, like we need somebody else around to make sure that, that our aging loved one is eating adequately, is taking their medications, is getting socialization, is actually doing some of their exercises, and that we're doing everything we can to manage and maintain their optimal well-being. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad you sort of mentioned family and friends, because actually, I think the research and our experience overwhelmingly shows that the vast majority of long-term care services are provided by family. 
and sometimes friends that they're the ones who step in to help an older person who needs help. But also some, um, some older people don't have family or don't have them close by, as you were mentioning. Yeah. And so for some people who do have family, you know, just using in-home care providers to provide respite for that family caregiver, you know, to think that somebody could do this 24 seven without any breaks is not realistic. Right. Yeah. And we also, I mean, we hear our members, you know, discussing this in our community that many of them have jobs or need to work and earn a living. And so there's also a question for a family of, does it make sense for a family member to cut back on their work and their earning to be providing the care that an older relative seem that seems necessary for an older relative? Right. And I don't, I'm assuming that every, that you're probably experiencing this and other folks listening might, might be experiencing this too, but it seems like we're, it seems like we're hearing more and more from people with early onset Alzheimer's or dementia. And so the spouse is usually still working full-time and has to work full-time because they're not Medicare eligible and, you know, they've got to have health insurance. And Mm -hmm. so even if they had the financial resources, the spouse is still like, I have to go to work. I mean, we have to have insurance. insurance. And then, and then their spouse that has dementia cannot usually be left home alone. Right. That does, uh, that does come up. Now we also hear, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people expressing the concern that they think their parent should have help um, <laughs> and hire help. And the parent is refusing mm-hmm. or reluctant or only wants their family member to help. And we might have to get into that towards the end if we, if we have time, but I want to acknowledge that, that I also hear that coming up. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> which is why, which is why help often seems to be hired after there is a crisis, right? That's right. That's right. Because you know? <laughs> I feel like some families are thinking about it before there's an actual crisis. And often the, the older person is understandably, I think, reluctant right. to have somebody new coming into the home in part because it's not clear to people how to find someone who's good and who you can trust. So, so let's get into that now, like how you, what your options are for getting help in the home. And so in the explainer that you wrote for our members, you started off explaining the difference between home care and home health care. Uh, so maybe we can talk about that briefly, because I do find that a lot of people are often not quite clear on the difference. And it can be very confusing because we don't have, we don't really have a term that we use that's uniform in every single setting. And so it's really confusing when you're looking up information to know if you're looking up information on private duty, in-home care services, or if it's home health services. And then if you start looking at home health services, it looks like Medicare is going to pay for it. So (laughs) then families get really confused and they realize that Medicare is not going to pay for it. So the terms that I use um, and that is mostly used in our area are the terms private duty in-home care services and home health services. And so home health services are really the medical services that are provided for short-term interventions that rely on some sort of skilled benefit or skilled service. So a, a skilled service is physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, a registered nurse who's focusing on wound care, medication issues. And then along with that might come some homemaker services. Um, In-home care, so more of the private duty in-home care services are more about just the custodial care. So it mostly is non-medical services, could be helping with bathing, with toileting, transferring, uh, lighthouse keeping, meal preparation, 
those kinds of things. So it's a, it's a non-medical, non, non-skilled service that focuses more on custodial care. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think we, it's worth reiterating that home health care is a Medicare benefit and the older person has to have a need for a service that's provided by kind of a more trained healthcare professional, such as a nurse, a physical therapist, an occupational therapist. And a certain number of people will get home healthcare services as follow-up after hospitalization mm-hmm. and Medicare often pays if the person has been hospitalized for, what is it, three, three nights, right, to be eligible? You know, the home health services, you don't even have to have a hospitalization in order to be eligible. If a physician is willing to write the order, then you can receive it. Most people do go home from the hospital with a home health service or even transition from nursing home from short-term skilled rehab services with home health. Um, but you could, if you meet all the criteria, your physician could write the order. I think if you weren't hospitalized, you have to be homebound. Is That's right. The, the mm-hmm. sticking point. The ordering clinician has to certify that you're homebound, right. meaning that you're too unwell to leave the house or that you're, you know, that it's extremely difficult mm-hmm. and you're only leaving for medical visits and like church or something like that. And they also have to have seen you right, face to face, you know, right. within a certain period before or after the, the request. So that's the kind of medical home care benefit that people can potentially qualify for. And often what people need is may not, they may not need a, the quote, you know, skilled medical need, right? That's right. Because what we were saying is they need help just kind of getting through their life, maybe getting dressed or with the groceries or just a little help and support and supervision or assistance or an extra set of eyes to help out in the home. And you use that um, term custodial care is how it's historically been described, you know, that just taking care of someone without, and the the irony is it's quite skilled to actually work. It is quite skilled (laughs) to to do it. Well, it's just not, you know, you just don't have to go get a healthcare degree for the most part. So do you find that people now, and I guess people often don't realize that Medicare does not cover that kind of assistance in the home. I would say most people don't understand that, right? They often approach this phase of life or this part of aging with their parents where they just assume that Medicare is going to step in and provide more than it actually does. So Medicare generally does not pay for most long-term care services, you know, that are an ongoing need for that kind of help, right? Right, right. Yeah. So who does pay when the government pays? (laughs) We'll reiterate for our audience. (laughs) So... When it comes to the long-term care world, I mean, Medicare will pay for some home health services if you qualify and continue to meet the need for the benefit. It does not, however, provide that 24-7 care that most families need. And then, of course, Medicare will also pay for some short-term rehab in a nursing facility um, for up to 100 days. But otherwise, families are kind of on their own. And we do have some Medicaid benefits that might pay, depending on how each person's state has set up their Medicaid benefits. And we have VA benefits that we can talk about as well. So often when people are getting those benefits paid for by the government, it's either because um, they have qualified for Medicaid and Medicaid in their state is covering it in the form they want at home, or it could be the VA, or I guess there's a small number now of Medicare Advantage plans. Right. Very small number. Are starting to offer that. But yeah, remains remains very small. And I guess otherwise some people have a long-term care insurance policy. That's right. That will cover it, although it's gotten difficult to buy those policies. That's right. 
right now. Okay. So once people realize that Medicare is not going to pay for this help that an older person needs in a home, they, they have to start looking into hiring help. So what are the main things that people need to know and consider when they start looking into hiring help? So you can either hire an individual or you can hire an agency to provide the services. So in-home care services can be provided by any private individual that you find. Um, They can be licensed or not licensed. That's really up to you as the family member. Um, Or you can work through an agency that hires and trains and provides these in-home care providers. In Georgia, we, all of our in-home care agencies hire um, certified nursing assistants or CNAs. So that's the designation that I always tell families to look for here is to look to see if if the provider that they're thinking about hiring does have their CNA license. Um, And if that license is up to date, because that shows that they've gotten some training, have had some experience and have the knowledge that they need to help an older adult in the home with transferring safely, with bathing safely, and they, you know, they have to be trained in CPR and first aid. And so I tell families to look for that CNA designation, whether they're hiring an individual or through an agency. Yeah. And just to clarify, transferring means helping an older person move like from the bed to a chair or a bed to a wheelchair, or sometimes even from the bed to standing up and having their walker, you know, be considered a uh, a a transfer. And it is a really important part of what a lot of uh, people are doing. Is that a Georgia state law that agencies have to hire certified nursing assistants? Is that why they do it? If they're hiring for for providers to offer those services, we also do have sitters. So we could hire, I mean, our agencies do provide uh, non-licensed individuals who provide sitter services. But the best, the practice in our area is most, mostly that they hire and train CNAs and not just sitters, because sitters do exactly that. They just sit and observe. And then call for help when it's and necessary. And call for help, mm-hmm. right, which is sometimes a necessary service, but more often than not, we really need somebody who can provide hands-on services and interventions. And so the best practices in our area is to provide CNA-level service. And that's mostly all you can find when you work through an agency. And then many families, you know, are interested in having someone help their older loved one with medications, right? That's often a cause for concern. Well, often a lot of older people uh, do take some or often several medications daily and uh, maybe struggling to remember it. What is often the role of a, a paid in-home assistant in helping with medications? I'm sure it varies state by state. I'm sure it does vary state by state. So in Georgia, and I'm sure this is probably the standard in most states, is that by regulation, CNAs are allowed to help an individual with medication (laughs) self-administration. So what does that mean? Okay, so that means that if an individual can tell you what medications they take, can recognize the medications they're taking, they can take the medications from the CNA, put it in their hand, and then they can take it themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I'm an older adult and I've hired a CNA, if I can say, yes, those look like my medications, and then I can take them from the CNA into my hand, put them in my mouth, and then swallow them myself, is about the level that our CNAs are allowed to do. So they're not able to dispense or decide what an older adult takes. But if a family, say, set up a pillbox and you know they say at nine o'clock, there's the nine o'clock meds, will you please hand those to my loved one? 
the CNA is allowed to hand those to their loved one and say, you know, it's nine o'clock, here's your nine o'clock medications. So what happens with people who are forgetful? Because that's often a reason that people want to hire help in the home. You know, there's, there is a gap between what the regulations allow and then what's actually happening, right? I mean, so there is, there is like what the law defines what a provider is able to do. And then there's the real need about what people need. And a lot of our CNAs are put in a situation where they go, they practice above what the regulations really allow them to do because it is, it's just what's, it's what's needed. Yeah. So they are handing the medication at the appointed time to this person who may not be able to name their medications. I would, I would assume so. And Georgia recently allowed us to start what's called a proxy caregiver. So our CNAs can be trained to do more advanced things for an individual if they're trained for that specific individual on this and one specific intervention and they're trained by an RN for this person. And so we've been able to do a little bit more with administering medications and then doing Foley care and doing peg tube care um, through a CNA that we used to not be able to do. Yeah. So Foley is the indwelling urinary catheter, right? That some people have. And then the peg tube is the uh, percutaneous gastronomy. It's the feeding tube going into the stomach for some people. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's actually been brought up that, that first of all, that, you know, when they've studied it, often family members are doing uh, fairly high level medical things, right? You know, managing catheters and feeding tubes and wounds, you know, mm-hmm. things that if we had professionals doing them, you know, we would have to have a, you know, a nurse, mm-hmm. a trained nurse doing them. And so, so often the healthcare system starts off asking families to do this often with little training or support. And then when the family member feels that they need to get back to their job or something else, they can find that it's quite difficult to hire somebody to do this. And providing this ongoing care does not usually qualify for the home health benefits. Okay. Well, so coming back to hiring someone, so you mentioned agency or individual. So what do you usually recommend people do? How do they decide which route to go? A lot of folks are tempted to just hire an individual. And mostly that's a financially driven decision. You can hire in in the metro Atlanta area, you can hire an individual CNA from anywhere from 12 to $17 an hour. If you work through an agency, it's around 21 to $23 an hour. So, you know, you can save a a great deal of money by hiring an individual on your own. I always caution people against doing that because it comes with a lot of risk. Yeah, maybe you can um, tell us kind of the pros and cons of the agency versus the pros and cons of the hiring an individual. So with the agencies, you know, the agencies handle all the hiring, firing and training, um, as well as all the taxes for each of the individual caregivers. So you don't have to go through the process of interviewing all the caregivers, making sure that they have all the adequate training, nor do you have to actually handle the firing of an individual if that, if that, if it ever comes to that, you know, so if there's a dispute with your caregiver, there's some sort of intermediary manager type person with an agency that can help be your go-between and help you sort through any problems you might have with the caregiver. And I think that that could be a really big deal if if somebody is already stressed out and wants to minimize any potential conflict uh, is to hire an agency. And a lot of, a lot of home care agencies do now have geriatric care coordinators or social workers on their teams 
who help do the assessments and help do the, the caregiver placement. And then that person can be used to help with any disputes or any issues that the family might be having with the caregiver. And I think that's a huge benefit if somebody, if, if you want to stay sort of conflict neutral and not have to handle any of that yourself. You don't have to do the hiring, the firing, the training, those kinds of things. Yeah. The agency provides this really important managerial role and it sounds like administrative role too, because they're paying the caregiver and dealing with any relevant taxes or employment issues. And you're basically paying the agency. That's right. And then the, the agencies also provides liability insurance. So and, and, um, and workers' compensation. So if something happens to the, either to the, the person's property or if there's ever an injury that either happens to the, the older individual or to the caregiver, then the agency's insurance should help to cover that as well. If you hire just an individual, then it's your homeowner's insurance policy that's going to have to cover that individual caregiver that's coming into your home. And your home insurance policy may or may not want to cover that. If a caregiver that you've hired yourself, you know, is providing help with that transferring service, so you're transferring an individual from the bed to the wheelchair, and then they, they claim that their back gets hurt during one of those transfers, you know, they can make a claim against your, your property. If you hire them through an agency, they would have to go through their agency and seek workers' compensation and go through that process, and your, your property wouldn't be involved in that. So, and I think that that's a pretty big deal. And also if a caregiver gets sick, you know, if a caregiver gets sick, if you're working through an agency, the agency should have a contingency plan to be able to provide a replacement. A lot of the agencies in our area, the owners of the agencies are also CNAs. And so when push comes to shove, they'll come out and provide that, provide that service. In fact, one of the agencies near us, the owner, we had a really bad ice storm a couple of years back. And the owner tells this story of how she, the caregiver could not get to the person. And so the owner walked like two miles in the ice to get to the client's house to be there to help because they knew that they really needed that service. And so just having this team that you can count on to, to jump in and whatever might happen. So it sounds like there are tons of benefits to agencies. So other than them, you know, being more expensive and they're more expensive because they are providing all this oversight and, you know, an additional layer. But other than being more expensive, are there other downsides to agencies that people should be aware of and consider? Sure. I mean, you have less control over if your caregiver is going to be consistent and less control over who your caregiver is going to be. You know, you hear wonderful stories often about a family hiring an individual and that individual being the full-time caregiver providing 40 to 50 hours a week of care for two, three, four, five years, you know, and if you work through an agency, you know, the caregiver may or may not stay with that agency. The agency may have to pull the caregiver to go cover somebody else. You, know, you might not have as much control over the consistency of your caregiver nor will you have the, the ability to pick out who your caregiver is. So then, so in terms of individual caregivers, it sounds like the pros are that it costs less and that you can potentially, once you find the right person, have a, a, a more in-depth relationship with that person. Right. In your experience, how easy it is, is it to find one of those right people who's going <laughs> to I think it's stay. really hard. So it's kind of a long shot hoping for that. Doable. 
I think so. I mean, yeah, right. So it does happen. And so I say in general, I tell families that they, you know, should consider working with an agency and not go searching for an individual. But if you happen to know an individual who, you know, was the caregiver for your aunt, was the caregiver for the the woman down the street who was wonderful and, and now is looking for a new position. I mean, it does happen, but I think you would have to just already have known, already know of somebody who does that mm-hmm. and who has availability. Um, and your chances of just starting the search and finding the right person right off the bat is, I think, pretty slim. And then in terms of the downsides of hiring individual caregivers, so you've already mentioned how, you know, it becomes your your job you're the employer basically directly of this person. So you have to screen them, hire them, fire them, manage any, um, you know, concerns. You don't have a, a manager to help you, you do that. But, and you mentioned that you'd be liable for injuries and have to consider how, how you would handle that. But you also mentioned taxes and I had not realized this before I did, you know, a little research in preparation for this episode. I hadn't realized that taxes were, were, were an issue that, that in-home domestic workers cannot be considered contractors. And if you hire one, you're supposed to pay taxes for them. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you explain that a little bit to the audience? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there is a whole lot of tax issues that come along with hiring an individual caregiver, assuming that you want to do it the right way. You do have to file with the IRS. Um, you do have to pay taxes on them. And it could it could be an administrative nightmare for you and for your tax situation. And just another hassle that if you hire an agency, the agency is going to take care of for you. Yeah. The little, you know, one of the little tidbits I found was that, um, that according to the IRS, if you pay a caregiver more than $2,100 or more in a calendar year, which I forget what you said, care costs per hour, but you know, probably that's not very hard to get up right. to that amount. If you're paying them a, $2,100 or more in a calendar year, you're a household employer and you're mm-hmm. responsible for withholding and paying taxes. So that was kind of a, a surprise to me because I think people thought, you know, well, these freelance paid caregivers are like freelancers, right? right. <laughs> they need to deal with their own taxes. But in fact, it sounds like that's not the, the case if they're coming to your home regularly and you're giving them directions on what to do and how to do it. So now I did come across, um, I know that in recent years, you know, with the advent of platforms such as Airbnb and, and things like that, that, you know, there have been some platforms created for, uh, arranging paid caregiving services. And, um, do you have any experience with those CareLinks and care.com are two that I've heard about, but I don't have much personal experience with families using them. I've just heard about them for a while. Yep. I, and I'm in, I'm in the exact same boat where I know about CareLinks. I know about care.com when a family is dead set on not using an agency and they don't know of a caregiver, I will often tell them about those links and say, you could search, maybe you'll find the right person. Maybe you won't. Um, but I've never, I've never worked with anybody who's been matched with a caregiver through any of the platforms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so if any of the people listening, if you've uh, used those um, platforms, you know, maybe you can let us know in the show notes comments how it worked out. So I think the idea is kind of similar to Airbnb that, that that they present, you know, for people who are looking for this kind of work, they get to post themselves and maybe they have reviews from other people who have hired them and that you as a prospective employer can kind of browse through and find someone who might be a potential match. And then I think some of the platforms will also facilitate the payments 
and withholding of taxes for you. So the idea is to kind of streamline a little bit that administrative work, right? Yeah. And the other thing I've noticed on care.com and CareLinks might have the same is that the caregiver who's posted themselves online can also pay extra to get their, to show their um, vehicle, Department of Driver Services screening so you can see if they have any accidents um, and also their other background screenings. So they can pay extra and get that done through the website and then have that posted to show potential employers that they do have a clean driving record or they do have a clean background screening, which is really important. Right, right. What well, sounds like browsing through those sites might at least give those people who are considering hiring on their own some ideas of, uh, you know, what to be thinking about and looking for, right? When they see what the platform is trying to facilitate. So when it comes to hiring help for the home, what are some common mistakes or issues that you see coming up for people? And what do you recommend to avoid those? When a family is deciding to hire an individual Often that idea of just paying them under the table and not paying taxes is very tempting. It's a lot easier. It's a lot less hassle, but I strongly recommend against doing that and, and doing everything the right way. If at some point in the future you want to you want to um, apply for public benefits and you do have to show either the VA or Medicaid your bank statements, you want to be able to follow the money, right? And follow the money that a person was being paid the right way. And also just you don't want to commit tax fraud. The other thing that I see quite frequently with families when they hire an individual caregiver is just giving them too much authority and not enough supervision within the family system. So a caregiver will almost become, I've seen some caregivers become the bill payer, uh, the healthcare advocate, the scheduler, the decision maker on a lot of things. And that's when an older adult becomes more vulnerable to being exploited or abused. So it, when a caregiver is given too much authority and not enough supervision from other members of the family, that really does leave an older adult more vulnerable. And so I, I recommend you know, being careful of, of how much power you give your caregiver and helping them to maintain what their boundaries are supposed to be as the caregiver and not letting them overstep that. Right, right. Yeah. And we were talking about agencies earlier and you know, it, it reminded me that there are a number of geriatric care managers or small agencies of geriatric care management who do also help facilitate hiring caregivers and, and that the care manager sometimes plays a role in, in providing that oversight of the caregiver. And so for families who live far away from their older loved one, that can be potentially important. That's right. So a geriatric care manager is a great resource if you want to try to um, outsource the hiring, firing supervising of in-home care providers, that it can seem very overwhelming for a family. And sometimes you don't even know what the right questions are to ask or how to screen out somebody. And so you can hire a geriatric care manager to do the legwork on that. And I think that's a great, I think it's a great resource for families. Yeah. I mean, I think the downside is that it's, you know, again, an additional expense, but, but I think you're right to bring up that, that when you hire someone, they're there to do the kind of daily work and there needs to be a plan Mm -hmm. for supervising that person and setting boundaries and ensuring that there are adequate protections. So any other common mistakes or pitfalls that you see coming up for people? So when we think about hiring in-home caregivers, it's, it's usually to help facilitate aging in place. So aging in-home, which is what most of us want to do. But I think that we should always have some sort of contingency plan 
or backup plan in case that doesn't work anymore. So hiring in-home caregivers may be the final answer, but it may not be. And so at some point, if your loved one needed 24-7 care, and that could cost upwards of $10,000 a month, is that really sustainable and realistic? Um, and if not, should we also be looking at of developing the next step? You know, should this not work anymore? What would be our next step? And so putting some thought and plans in place for that. Yeah, because at $10,000 a month, you could you could be getting a facility or, you know, there are other kind of options. Right. To provide that care. And how often do you see families just involving their older parents in this conversation of, you know, the backup plan for later or the planning ahead, the <laughs> contingency planning? Not often enough. <laughs> <laughs> so... But I think that's a two-way street, right? I think a lot of older adults are like, no, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. We're fine at home. We don't need anything. Every, I'm, I would never live in a, I would never live anywhere else but besides my house. You know, I'm not leaving this house unless it's feet, unless it's feet first. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so they, you know, there's a lot of older adults who are resistant to engaging in that planning. And then there's a lot of adult children who are intimidated to bring it up. Right. And it's like, if we, it, maybe we don't bring it up, it won't happen. And mm-hmm. Right. And that's actually another situation where people like you can help, actually. And that, you know, that's something that I've realized over the last several years in practicing is that often it's not just the logistics of like, what are your options for securing care and how are you going to pay for it? But it's this issue of, you know, the conversations and social workers and, you know, many geriatric care managers are able to often facilitate those conversations, right? And that's something that you help families do sometimes. It's so interesting. You you mentioned in the opening of the of today's show that I work for an elder law firm. And it's interesting how many adult children will call the law firm to start talking about their parents' powers of attorney or getting VA benefits or looking at Medicaid or changing their parents' will. And, you know, you ask them, well, what does your mom say about this? What does your dad say about this? And they say, oh, we haven't talked to them about it yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to go back and start there. <laughs> We're bringing them into the office and we'll do that all together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So but these really big decisions that the, that the adult children are thinking about and, and trying to put plans in place for, and they haven't started with bringing it up to their parents yet. Yeah, yeah. Although, as you pointed out, it's often uh, not obvious or easy to do it. Right. right. I, mean, I think people often have tried a little bit and and gotten the responses that you mentioned, right? From the older person, I'm fine, there's nothing to worry about. And I, I think it's a it's a loaded topic and without a little extra assistance and guidance, people people don't know how to how to get started or how to get unstuck when they first try it and it seems to go poorly. So, which is why actually, you know, we end up talking quite a lot about communication. You've, uh, you've often been really helpful to our members in not only pointing out how they can get benefits, but in providing some guidance and suggestions on how to approach the conversation with an older parent or other family members. Because, uh, yes, this did occur to me a while ago that, you know, knowing how to prevent and address falls is important, but that people were getting stuck on how to actually talk to, you know, their parents, the doctors, that that there's still the actual like communication aspect that is really important in order to implement things. And that also those communication difficulties end up being a big source of stress and tension for everybody. Yeah. And so just like you had mentioned, just 
you know, out, outsource that conversation. You know, it's like or get help, get help facilitating it, right? Yeah. yeah. And you know, if the fi- if the family dynamics are such, and if the relationships are strained or it's structured in such a way that the adult children, you know, there's no way I can talk to my parent about that. They're the, they're they've always been the ones in charge. Then yeah, get help. Yeah, yeah. Well, Michelle, this has been wonderful. I'm mindful of the time. I don't want to keep you too much longer. So maybe in closing, any suggestions? So for people who've listened and been like, okay, I need to find someone like Michelle, (laughs) you know, a geriatric social worker to help out. So one option, you know, is in our membership. That would be one possibility. But otherwise, you know, what are ways that people can find a geriatric social worker and any other last tips and suggestions for people who are facing these these issues because it, it's hard you can't just google us and find us in your in your community uh, but you could look for a geriatric social worker at your area agency on aging we'll post a link to the locator in the and show there should notes be an intake uh, coordinator at every triple a who can help you with with these kinds of issues um, you can also just put a call out to you know a local hospice agency or home health agency and just see if there's anybody who'd be willing to help get you pointed in the right direction because hospices and home health agencies do have social workers on staff. And, you know, most of us are really excited and willing to help families at least get, get them pointed in the right direction. And then, you know, just, just asking around, you could stop in at the, at the assisted living community that's in your area. Usually the community relations or the admissions people at the assisted living communities in your area are very knowledgeable about some of the other service providers. So even if your loved one is not ready for an assisted living community, um, being plugged in with that admissions coordinator or, or a community relations person can be really helpful in knowing some of the really great resources that are in your area. Because uh, those, those people are usually really well plugged in and, and coordinated. I think those are all great options. And then the law firm that I work for is a part of the Life Care Planning Law Firm Association. And it, that's a network of, I think, a little over 200 elder care law firms across the country that have this model of having not only attorneys, you know, experienced and um, knowledgeable attorneys on staff, but also having care coordinators on staff. So they have either social workers or nurses who are dedicated to, to helping their clients with aging issues. And so you can look up the Life Care Planning Law Firm Association, and we'll have the link to that as well and find, find somebody like me probably in your, in your area as well. Great. Well, thank you for those suggestions. Well, I'm going to mention one last resource that I came across in, in looking this up, which is um, Family Caregiver Alliance, which is one of um, my favorite nonprofits. They have lots of tip sheets on all kinds of uh, issues relevant to family caregivers caring for older people, and they have one on hiring in-home care. So I'll post a link to that too. Because uh, I found that it it included a lot of the advice that Michelle just shared in a handy tip sheet format. And then we will also post a link in the show notes with more information about our Helping Older Parents membership. And if you would like to learn more about it and sign up for updates, you're definitely welcome to. So I think that's going to be it for today. But Michelle, thank you so much for this. Well, thank you so very much. We'll have to have you back to talk about some of the other things we touched on, but didn't get a chance to discuss today. I would love that. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, 
you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.